Welcome to Beyond Clean with Jim, a podcast that brings to you on your schedule in your environment, current and relative conversations on subjects that impact you, the individuals in the cleaning industry who save lives every day. Beyond Clean with Jim is streaming to you through Podbean from their studios inside Jim Supply in Central Florida. From their six locations, Jim Supply has been improving lives with clean supplies since 1930. Check out our options today for education, product, and equipment at gymsupply.net. Check out the seven pillars of the gym difference. At Jim, we are not just another vendor, we are your partner. Now let's join your host, Dave Thompson, as he talks with yet another influencer in the cleaning industry here on Beyond Clean with Jim. So folks, we're here at the MSPA conference uh, here in Branson, Missouri. And you know, I had to run around the reception hall here and just hunt out somebody that would talk. And I recognized somebody's face. Took him a little bit to recognize me, but here we are again. Here we are again. So what are we doing these days? It's been a few years. It has. It's been, oh, what, five, six years, if uh, if I remember. Uh, But no, right now I serve as the... uh, Director of Facilities and Purchasing for the Independence Public Schools in Independence, Missouri. So, uh, let me see. I've been gone from uh, Missouri about six years. Right. So, yeah. it's probably been seven since we actually talked yeah. much. I think when we first engaged each other, we were, uh, I was an associate dean of uh, students at a university. So. Correct. That's right. Yes. Good Good job of memory. We, we we all remember. Okay, so uh, you've been at independent schools now for the six years. Uh, just started my sixth year. Yes. So, facilities management is a challenge always. Always a challenge, and then uh, probably here in the last couple of years, you know, with COVID and mitigation practices in terms of reducing the spread and just making sure that. You know, you have a clean, healthy environment for all educational stakeholders. You know, the bar was even raised with that. So I think there's a lot of different things that we learned uh, during COVID. But I I think one thing that I can say that I think when I first met you is your program and your uh, benchmarking always focused on cleaning for health. And I think really, you know... I took that, uh, probably not, you know, to the T, but always, that was always the thought process about everything that we approached in terms of what we do from a custodial standpoint. Right, good. So our entire program from our chemical to, uh, you know, the task frequencies uh, really were for industry industry standards from a hospital standpoint. So when COVID came around, we were really ahead of Already there. We're already there. Yeah. Had to tweak a few things, but... uh, Well, everybody had to tweak. Everybody had to tweak, but uh, we weren't starting a program from scratch. How many people... always clean for health. How many people did you know that were starting from scratch? Uh, To be honest with you, we did a lot of consulting uh, during that time because we felt confident with our mitigation. Obviously, it was a layered approach. Uh, so we had most of the school districts in the Kansas City metropolitan area reach out to us uh, because we were one of the first schools to be back in person when we said we were going to be. I think a lot of school districts uh, post-COVID delayed uh, their regular start date until right. after Labor Day or 
Memorial Day. I can't remember which one comes first. I think it's Labor Day. There we go. Um, and so it was just one of those uh, opportunities that we got uh, an opportunity to share uh, the good work that our staff and our team uh, did and continues to do. And I think many of the practices uh, that we adopted are being shared across many of the educational institutions across the Kansas City metropolitan area. So no challenges anymore? I think the challenge, uh, I think it's pivoted. Uh, right. I think the challenge is being able to have adequate staffing to be able to, <laughs> to, to perform the daily work that needs to take place. Uh, we're fairly well staffed, uh, but again, um, I think a lot of the staffing challenges have been driven by uh, work-life balance, to be honest with you. Sure. I think if you look at, uh, you know, I think what for the many things that COVID did or did not do, I think one of the things that it did do is it really caused a lot of people to reevaluate uh, their professional careers and have a better work-life balance. And so naturally that kind of disrupts the, uh, the workforce. Has it brought together, though, a better workforce as a result? Um, for me, I think it's a little bit too early to tell on that. I think uh, I think there's a lot of different variables that play uh, a factor into that. Uh, but sure, I think from a nine thousand foot view, you can you know hypothetically say that the people that are people are being more selective in the choice of career they choose to go into. And if they choose that, they really want to be there instead of just there for a job and gone tomorrow. Yes, uh, true. So uh, as we work through 23, maybe that's a good thing coming out of it? Maybe that's a good thing coming out of it. Uh, but I think really the driving factor behind that is employers really have to realize um, specifically like in facilities that, you know, it, it, a lot of people realized how important their custodial operations were. Oh, yes, yes, right? yes. And we Prior that to that, yeah. people were always kind of like, eh, you know, yeah. it's there, right? But yeah, we got to have them, but. we got to have them, but. But yeah. I think people really realized how important their custodial programs and operations were to everyday operations. And I think they value that more. So I think what you're seeing is the wage gap from a custodial to a lot of the other areas uh, grow, partly because A, people need them and they realize the value, uh, but you know, I've always treated our custodians no different than I would treat our, our grounds person or our maintenance technician, because it's there's really a science to custodial operations, and the better your staff know and understand uh, that science behind cleaning, uh, the better product that you, the better environment that you'll provide for all of your um, stakeholders. But yeah, we're not just talking uh, whether we use a toilet brush or a yeah. microfiber. Yeah. Those those things are, are common. We're exactly. talking about, you've got to know the differences between viruses and bacteria. You've got to know what bacteria is, what viruses you're after. Yep. You know, these, are, these are much more prevalent now uh, front of mind than ever before. Absolutely. And so that brings a professionalism just in itself. Yep. Absolutely. So we're not just step uh, the, the stepchild anymore. Nope. Uh, purchasing, you mentioned, uh, you do as well. How did purchasing change? Purchasing changed, um, 
you know, for me specifically, uh, purchasing changed to where we had to diversify. Um, and what I mean by that is, specifically on the custodial operations side, we, you know, there were supply chain uh, raw material good shortages. Everybody had them. And everybody had them. And so you still need those products to be able to execute daily operations from a custodial standpoint. And so we had always used a specific uh, vendor provider, partner uh, for custodial supplies, and they've served our account well, but they weren't immune to a lot of the supply chain issues that everybody else was experiencing, so we had to diversify. So maybe now, instead of carrying a sole uh, provider for custodial, now we also have a, you know, a backup, if you will, so uh, a primary and a secondary that can both equally serve our needs from a product standpoint. So do you see that changing going forward, the shift in those as we go out of it in the, in the 23? I, I don't. Uh, right now, I, I really don't see that changing. I think, uh, in general, I think it's always a good practice to have multiple people that serve your needs, partly because it's a check, it's, its own internal checks and balance system to make sure that you're getting the best product, keep, keep, keeping folks honest, you know. And sure, we do that through bidding. Uh, um, you know, in our district, but at the same point in time, you have to make sure that, um, more importantly, you're, you're keeping those individuals honest in terms of always thinking about what's next. You know, it takes both of you to push each other to make sure that they're providing products and needs that serve your, your institution or your organization. So let's give the people that are watching this, because uh, this is a recorded podcast, Beyond Clean with Ace. Um, let's give them a, a kind of a perception of how big the district is, how many custodians, uh, square footages. Do you got some of those numbers yeah, on your yeah, head? Yeah, we do. So our district serves, uh, when you count our, uh, our early ed programs like our pre-K, we're a little uh, around 17,500 students, push 18 every now and then. Um, from a staff standpoint, I've got uh, 200 plus, and I'd say about 150 of those are specifically custodial, okay. cleaning about 3.7 million square feet on a daily basis. So do you do any facilities management outside custodial? Yes, I oversee uh, grounds okay. uh, as well as maintenance. I also, we have a district print shop that uh, is under my umbrella of responsibilities. And then I also have a purchasing supervisor. So did, did COVID really play uh, havoc with those other departments? I mean, outside of students not being or being there? I mean, did it really affect them as much as custodial? Um, yes. Uh, specifically on the mechanical side, obviously, air exchanges and... Uh, being able to manipulate our systems, running our different schedules in order to always have continual air exchanges uh, within our layered approach. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, UV light and adding some of those additional tools to some of our um, to some of our mechanical systems. Ultimately, we ended up not doing it. So didn't do any UV? But we, we didn't end up doing it, partly because uh, what we always like to try to do is understand and do the research. And we found that as long as you have 
good air exchanges and you're well ventilated, you don't necessarily need those additional items uh, to help mitigate. That was the conclusion we came to, right. uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that others didn't come to their other, uh, a different conclusion that may work for their you're, needs. You're right. I mean, yeah. but, you know, I've heard and, and talked with other people from other districts. Uh, I was at the Florida Plant Manager School District uh, uh, Conference last week, and, uh, you know, as you said, you know, one, one gentleman was talking about, you know, every, every family was bringing in an air purifier that they wanted to use in the classroom. And now he's got like nearly a hundred different air air machines in his district. He's got to work with. You don't have that. We don't have that, and you know there's you know there's consequences to that. Right? Okay. You know you've got to have a strategic. You've got to have policy and planning towards that because all of that additional equipment. You know I know how much we spend on energy costs. <laughs> right. And oh, those yeah. aren't necessarily yeah. going sure. to, aren't any cheaper. So now you take. Uh, a classroom full of 25, 30 kids, and let's say 15 of them are bringing in additional equipment that is utilizing, you know, all Power. sources of energy. Yeah. Uh, that has a compounding effect in terms of, uh, you know, the utility side of things. And so, and at the end of the day, what's the data behind it? Really? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so really move the needle from a mitigation standpoint that much further by adding 15 more air purifiers in that classroom. So we try to make data-driven decisions uh, in our district, and so everything that we do, whether it's introducing a new product, a uh, new chemical, we actually do anywhere from a six to a year test, test run on it. Uh, that way we can collect the data and make an educated decision. And uh, that's just always been a practice for us. And uh, I always challenge every single one of our staff members to provide me the data that helps you know, solidify a decision. Because when you have the data, it's really easy to go to your leadership team or your board of education and ask for the resources that you need to be able to, to support uh, learning. So you mentioned challenges, you challenged them. What's on the challenges for the next school year? I mean, we're, we started into this one, so yeah, yeah. I, I imagine it's pretty much set, but challenges still happen. The challenges that, you know, that, that I oversee, uh, that I foresee in the, in the coming future from a facility standpoint, um, I think it's no secret that public education um, is under attack. Uh, and usually when that is the case, you end up with situations where you're not, uh, budgets are being slashed, uh, funding is being slashed. And so, so there's a lot of challenges on the financial side now that a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the, the ESSER dollars are, are drying up. You know, I think what you'll see is some school districts that made, uh, some knee-jerk reactions uh, to how they were utilizing some of those dollars and how they implemented and executed uh, the needs that they saw at that point in time. And so what you'll see is when that money dries up, I think budgets are going to be really tight to provide the support that they, the continued support that they need to be able to do that. The second piece, I think, um, is the, the supply chain's not going to improve. Uh, I track a lot of different things uh, on that side because I help oversee purchasing in our district. And so right now I was actually following the railroad uh, union uh, negotiations um, to, to see what kind of impact those would 
would potentially pose for just our operational needs. Obviously, there's a lot of products that we move throughout our district, and uh, many of them are transported by rail, okay. which, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize this or know this, and some may, but I think 30, 30% of our domestic, domestic gross products in the United States are transport, transported by rail. Well, I would imagine that most people listening to this podcast right yep. now would not think of and that so, as a school district. Exactly. And so there's products that school districts use, whether it's curriculum, whether it's uh, chemicals, whether it's uh, fertilizer uh, for our fields, uh, you name it. Air filters? Air filters. <laughs> uh, so you've got a lot of those things that are transported by rail. So that's one thing. Obviously, I'll continue to watch. I do understand they, do, they did come to a... Uh, a <coughs> a collective agreement uh, to prevent a strike, uh, but the, the second one that I'm watching is the UPS. Uh, they're potentially, they're in a collective bargaining year, I guess, if you will. The, their current contract ends June 30th, and so some people may be asking, well, why does that matter? Well, again, I, I go back and look at the research. UPS delivers about 25 to 27 million packages, ground packages a day in the United States. Actually, I think that's globally. And so when you take, I believe when you take FedEx and you take DHL and some of those other companies collectively, they're only doing about six to seven million packages a day. So if they were to go on strike, that's going to present a lot of the various challenges that I was talking about respective to the potential strike from the railroad union. would be equivalent to, to, to what UPS would probably do should they go on strike. It's a domino effect, right? Yeah. And so that is going to impact uh, construction projects we may have going, uh, the materials for those. Uh, it's going to impact curriculum. It's going to impact, you know, printing paper. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that I watch from that. Trip. So we've got to be able to be nimble enough to understand those supply chain issues, I think that's going to continue to be uh, a big challenge moving forward. And simply put, I think when you look at the country as a whole, we're not necessarily equipped to be able to, you know, it's not like the Roaring Twenties where you had multiple, you had a factory boom, right, that was producing just whether it was cars or many other products. You had enough uh, people, manufacturers out there that could handle that. I think we're kind of in a lull with that uh, across the country. Um, yeah, laborers are down. Laborers are down, and manufacturing, I think, is down. Right. And so that's going to have an impact, right? And we're still seeing that. I mean, I, I go to, I can't, if I was to order a fleet vehicle right now to replace uh a fleet vehicle that's coming up on on replacement cycle. Right. I've been waiting a year to have a, a fleet vehicle delivered, and part of that is just the chip shortage. So again, speaking on that labor manufacturing side, we don't have enough chip plants to make a vehicle to, to make run. A vehicle we can't run. get the chip to run it. Exactly. And so I so, mean, how how many other things require a chip? A lot. When you look at technology, a lot. Yeah. And you got you know you got door hardware. You know, door right. hardware is a challenge. Electrified door hardware is a challenge. You know, some of those components require chips. So supply chain is going to continue to be uh, a challenge. 
I think for, for all industries, but respective to what I do in terms of supporting the school system, it's going to continue to be a challenge in the near in the in the short term and long term until we get to a point where, as as a country, we 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 reinvest in a lot of those manufacturing and labor jobs. So, folks, we're here at the MSPA conference, and I got a feeling that uh, uh, Islam's not going to be talking with a FedEx person or a railroad guy, but you're going to be looking at vendors tomorrow. Any particular thing that you're interested in, vendor-wise? Not off the top of my head. I think one of the things that I always try to pride myself in is uh, continuing to learn. Um, And I think the opportunity to visit, uh, this is one of the best vendor shows in the country. Uh, I get a chance to go to a lot of other uh, conferences that are somewhat modeled like this and uh, from a vendor show standpoint this is by far the best and I, and I say that because I've seen it and uh, I've been a part of I serve on the Missouri School Plant Managers Board as an area director for the Kansas City region and I get to visit with a lot of the vendors here and they get to travel around the country for various vendor shows and this is one of, they say this is the best one and so with that, um, I think simply if, if folks that serve in my role always need to continue to, to push the envelope to understand what new technologies are out there to help meet emerging needs of uh, organizations, and in this case, school business. And so that's one of my central roles as a facility director is to... to to learn about those new technologies and see how those technologies could potentially serve our emerging needs for our respective uh, school district and our students and our educational community. So you're talking about learning, so that's not just the vendor show, there's also classes and stuff like that. Uh, Have you got any of those picked out or are you just going to... You know what I plan on uh, attending, at least um, when I'm not on my board duties, uh, I do plan on looking at... um, there's a couple of presentations specifically to capital planning. Okay, uh, I think I'm interested in that because I also see one of the potential threats moving forward as uh, public education continues to be under attack is the privatization of education. You know, meaning there's more, whether it's charter or parochial schools, which in, which in turn will, will decrease the number of students that potentially attend public uh, public education, public schools, if you will. And so when you have a reduction in enrollment, you've got to be nimble and understand um, other things that you can do with those potential facilities that you may need to decommission, you may need to sell, you may need to repurpose. So I'm looking forward to kind of looking uh, and attending that capital planning and to better understand how that may potentially you know, fit into our future needs. Well, I would be amiss if I didn't see if I couldn't entice you to come to my program tomorrow morning. Well, what time is it? 8.30. 8.30. Okay. Rock stars of cleaning. I will be there. I'll promise you that. How about that? That sounds good. All right. So uh, let's see your badge there so everybody can see who you are and what. And any numbers or email or anything that you want to give them so they can get hold of you if they want to 
talk further? Well, if they want to talk further, I'd be more than happy. I, I can share my email to you, and uh, you can use it within your podcast. Uh, I do a lot of consulting through, or just collaboration, I guess is a better word, uh, with many folks. Right. We do a lot of really good things in our district. Uh, you can follow me on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I post a lot of our projects and a lot of the good work that our team and uh, my staff do day in, day out. Um, and so always, always willing to share share uh, our experiences um, to, to help others. So, folks, you'll find all of those links and his email address, uh, LinkedIn uh, uh, contact on uh, Beyond Clean with Ace. We'll have it in the show notes. Thank you for coming over. Thank you. Good have, seeing you again. I'm glad talk. to hear things are going well, and I hope uh, Florida's treating you well. And uh, hope your family and everybody's doing well. It is. All right.